the, the requirement under law is really to make sure that as you're handing off downstream that those individual saleable unit serial numbers are making it across. But in practice, if you're a distributor and you're receiving a case and your customer orders a case, you don't want to be cracking open the case and having to scan each inner pack and then cracking open each inner pack and having to scan individual bottles. You really want to be able to scan that case. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The more regulated a business, the harder the requirements for regulatory compliance. Former distribution might feel like a straightforward business, but it has several requirements related to lot and serial number tracking that only exist in this industry. They also have unique channels and how their sales and purchase orders need to be processed in order to be compliant with the regulatory bodies. Utilizing a vanilla ERP for a pharma business may be a harder lift due to the unique process development requirements on top of a vanilla ERP, which might be more expensive than buying an ERP designed for the pharma distribution industry. In today's episode, our guest Darren Meyer shares his insights on the unique nuances of the pharma distribution business. He also discusses why vanilla ERP would fall short when it comes to the needs of pharma distributors as they have specific tracking requirements such as having a lot and serial numbers both on the product packaging. Finally, he discusses the data elements and information that need to be exchanged across the supply chain to comply with regulatory bodies. Let me introduce Darren to you. Darren has been a member of the BlueLink ERP executive staff for the last 23 years working with distribution customers and more specifically works with the pharmaceutical distribution customers to architect software solutions that allow their businesses to comply with DSCSA and pharma serialization requirements. Darren holds a number of Microsoft certifications specializing in SQL Server and is a member of multiple committees such as the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, HDA, and EPCIS Center of Excellence, which establishes standards around the implementation of the DSCSA electronic interchange of data for pharmaceutical distributors. Darren also has a technology blog at darrenmeyer.com where he shares useful IT and SQL Server related content. With that, Let's get to the conversation. Hey, Darren. Welcome to the show. 
Glad to be here. Okay, amazing. And I'm super excited to have you as well because the kind of depth you are going to have in the pharma distribution space that is going to be so fascinating for our listeners. The other industries can learn so much from this industry just because of the nuances and the complexity it has. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus then? Sure. I've been in the distribution software space for about 23 years now, working with um, typically owner-managed uh, buy-sell distributors who yep. are you know, purchasing products, storing them in a warehouse, and then shipping them out to their customers. Blue Link, and in my role as well, um, our focus changed to pharmaceutical distributors. Yep. Uh, for the last uh, probably 12 years or so, we've been adding features and trying to stay a step ahead of all the regulations requirements that our customers face uh, when trying to operate in this space. So I help architect software solutions and meet and work with the the companies to actually get them up and running and uh, make sure that they're being compliant with law. Okay, amazing. So we are going to dig into all of those stories. If you find any sort of variations among these architecture that you design for different companies, We'll dig into all of that. But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be your perspective on business growth, Darren. I mean, business growth for, especially in the pharmaceutical distribution space, there's a lot of opportunity for our customers. If they've got the right software to allow them to be compliant with the law, they can really focus on growing their businesses. They can establish new sales channels. They can use um, software integration features to automate the flow of data and information. So imagine making a sale in an online channel yeah, uh, And then having those orders flow automatically into your ERP system, which is actually allowing you to manage your inventory, to fulfill those orders, and then having the shipment information about those orders as they go out the door, automatically flowing back electronically. Those are the types of workflows that when you put them in place, allow a smaller team of people to actually do more, handle more volume, increase your sales, increase your profitability, because you've got a smaller team able to do more. Okay, amazing. So let's dig into the the pharma world uh, a bit more, right? So the people who are not going to be familiar with pharma distribution, obviously, every industry, every business is going to be going to have its own nuances. And if you talk to any distributor, they are going to say, you know what, pharma distribution is probably going to be similar to any other distribution, because the only thing you are really doing is you are buying the product and you are selling. So now if we talk about the uniqueness of pharma distribution, from the process perspective, and that might drive the software <clears throat> complexity because you need to have the software that can support all of those processes, right? So the, the companies that are, let's say, exploring new ERP system or whatever, for them, they need to understand what are these uniqueness going to be in the pharma distribution world. So do you want to talk about comparing a couple of different distribution business with pharma? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest differences between a regular hard goods buy-sell distributor and somebody who's working in the pharma space really just yeah. has to keep uh, is to do with uh, keeping up with the regulations that are required and making sure that the information systems that you're using actually store enough data to be yeah. compliant. Yeah. So uh, put you know, at the simplest level, uh, everybody's familiar with buying uh drugs or pills at the at the pharmacy and you yeah. notice that on the on the side of the box you've got other information that's not necessarily on uh, other hard good type products so you'll yeah. have a lot number you'll have a lot expiry date 
Yeah. Um, and now in with the introduction of the DSCSA, you now have a, a government mandated requirement to also have serial number information. So yeah. uh, the traceability of the products that you're purchasing in distribution are, for, through pharma are much more detailed than they would be if you were just purchasing a bicycle. Yeah. So yeah. the uh, so the buy sell distributor not only needs to keep track of what quantity they have and where and how to fulfill that product, but they also need to know information about what the lot numbers are, what the expiries are, yeah. making sure that they're shipping product that's valid to their customers. And then they also have some extra challenges around returns. So if a product gets returned, there is now a legal requirement through the DSCSA to have them verify uh, that those products are saleable. So, so having software technology solutions that allow you to do things like scan the product yeah. um, and have it gather that information and verify that it's valid um, are some of the challenges that a pharmaceutical distributor has that a typical buy-sell distributor might not. So that's a very interesting comment. And one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, on the pharma products, you are going to have lot numbers. So I am going to bring this slightly closer to other industries where you have the lot number. So you are absolutely right that, you know, in the home goods space, you are probably not going to find the lot number, the expiry date and the serial number. The closest industry that I can think of with the pharma is probably going to be food and beverage industry. And you are probably yeah. going to find the lot number and the expiry date. There is another industry, for example, let's say if you talk about electronics or medical device on which you are probably going to find serial number because each of the, those devices, or if you talk about you know, oil and gas where you might have a bunch of components and you need to track all of those components and you need to track them uniquely. So you are going to be finding a serial number there. So now if we compare all of these industries, so one of the comments that you made that, you know what, you have the requirement for the lot number, you have the requirement for the expiry date. Now that makes sense. Now on the same packaging, why do you have the serial number as well? Because typically in my experience, the only thing I have seen is either you are going to have a lot number or you are going to have a serial number. So in your case, do you in pharma distribution, are you saying that both of them are required? Yeah. So uh, the, the the DSCSA is a law that was passed in the U.S. that it was supposed to in, intend that was whose intention is to improve the traceability of items going through the supply chain. Yeah. So you could imagine uh, imagine that a manufacturer is making ten thousand bottles of something. Right. Uh, they're going to do that as part of a, they're going to assign it a lot number. They're going to calculate the expiry date based on that entire batch. Yeah. Um, but within that batch, I mean, if, if you're selling a controlled substance, uh, a, a drug that um, could potentially be misused, uh, you've heard a lot of uh, news about opiates, for example, in, in the news being um, something that gets abused on a regular basis. It becomes necessary while the product moves through the supply chain to have more information than just those 10,000 units that were made as part of the same lot. You actually want the serial numbers to identify the subsets of information. So the a particular case yeah. of that product can be traced through the supply chain when you assign a serial number to, to the case or to the bottles within that case. So it becomes possible to do things that you couldn't do by just tracking lot numbers when you assign serial numbers. So very interesting. So why do you need lot number when you have the serial number? Let's say if they are mandating that, you know what, you are going to require the serial number because now it is the individually traceable and serial numbers are going to have far more overhead from the admin perspective and the process perspective. Yeah. So why do you need both then? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's some of the discussion that happens in the 
in the software design forums, uh, the there's something called an SG10, which is the serial number plus the global trade identification number, yeah. uh, which is actually a bit of a shorthand for referring to that exact product. So you can actually omit the lot number and the lot expiry date and use just the serial number with the global trade identification number to uniquely identify that product. So while it's moving through the supply chain, that actually is okay, but but the distributor themselves still needs to know the information about the lot number and the expiry. Uh, so imagine you not wanting to sell short dated items to a pharmacy. Um, so you still need that extra data to for other business reasons. But strictly speaking, in terms of the movement of that product through the supply chain, you're you're quite right that the serial number does, in fact, uniquely identify that product. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, how the serial number moves in the value chain. So, for example, let's say if you are the pharma distributor, obviously you are going to have some sort of cross-reference with your manufacturer who is actually supplying these drugs to you because obviously you are not really manufacturing them so when we talk about the recall management or forward backward traceability of these products across the value chain then you need to have the some sort of number from your manufacturer so i don't know what are they supplying so when you say you are going to have the serial number across the value chain so is there a standard name for the serial number that goes from your from your manufacturer to your distributor to your pharmacy to your consumer? How does that process work? Yeah, I mean, we're we're actually in a really interesting time right now where we're moving from typical pharma traceability was the combination of the lot number, the lot expiry date and information about who you are purchasing it from. So if you were to talk about traceability prior to the 2023 deadline, when we're supposed to be switching to tracking serial numbers moving through the supply chain, um, your your traceability document would have said who the manufacturer was, who the first distributor was that they sold it to. If there was another distributor in between, it would have information about who that distributor was. And then you, the information that's being tracked at at present is just that lot number, that lot expiry date, and the information about who these players are. Move forward to 2023 and the serialization requirements, um, the the biggest changes really have to do with the handoff of information between uh, steps. And and as you pointed out earlier, uh, now that you have have to include the serial number information in that uh, data movement, and in the at least in the pharma space, we're still including the information about the lot and lot expiry dates. So there's it, it, it the requirement on any player in that chain to know about every other move is a little bit lower because the electronic transmission is really just from one partner to the next. So from the manufacturer to the first distributor, from the first distributor to the second distributor, from the distributor to the uh, the end pharmacy, for example. Yeah. So maybe, uh, you know, I don't know if you could provide some more colors there in terms of, you know, which is the number that they are really retaining from you when you go from your manufacturer to first distributor to your second distributor. Are they going to keep a specific number who is accountable and responsible for producing the traceability? Is it, you know, everybody needs, because see, if you look at yourself, you know, if you are the distributor, then you are only going to have one link, you know, whoever supplied to you, you are not going to know what happened before that. Yeah, I mean, this is you're actually kind of hitting upon the biggest challenge in this space is to try to get literally tens of thousands of companies ready to transfer information to each other electronically and making sure that the information that they send is is sufficient. So, so this is the the big challenge that the the software architects um, are are trying to deal with and making sure that these systems are interoperable and that they're actually transmitting good data that actually matches the reality of the the product, the physical product in the real world. So. 
A manufacturer, you can imagine uh, if they're currently manufacturing product and they're treated, they have systems that keep track of the lot number and lot expiry date, then obviously for the last several years, they've had a requirement to now also assign serial numbers and to also record information about those serial numbers. Um, but when it comes to a distributor, there's also this notion of units of measure or the way that things are packaged that becomes yeah. very important for a buy-sell distributor. So the distributor, you know, if they're going to receive a pallet that has five cases on it, and then those cases have inner packs and those inner packs have individual bottles, the uh, under this uh, under the DSCSA, the smallest saleable unit, which might be a, a bottle that's sitting inside of one of those inner packs has a unique serial number. Yeah. The, the six bottles that are sitting inside of an inner pack also has a unique serial number yeah. that identifies that inner pack. And at the manufacturing level, there's a notion of aggregation where it knows that, okay, well, that serial number, if I were to scan the serial number of that inner pack, it contains these six serial numbers yeah. of the individual saleable units. Now, inside that case, you might have you know four of those inner packs. So there's a serial number assigned to the case now that allows the systems to know, okay, well, there's an aggregation of these inner packs, these four different inner packs, and those four different inner packs each contain these individual serial numbers. Yeah. So um, the, the requirement under the law is really to make sure that as you're handing off downstream that those individual saleable unit serial numbers are making it across. But in practice, if you're a distributor and you're receiving a case and your customer orders a case, you don't want to be cracking open the case and having to scan each inner pack and then cracking open each inner pack and having to scan individual bottles, you really want to be able to scan that case. Yeah. So there's notions of aggregation and inference about, I can assume that if I scan this outer pack serial number and I have data that came from my manufacturer to me that says, here's what that serial number contains, yeah. then I can save myself a lot of time in terms of actually telling my customer downstream what I've sent them, if I'm allowed to infer from those upper scans what I've sent. Now, in order for that to be considered valid, you also have to make sure that it hasn't been tampered with. So you're going to notice uh, if it's not prevalent now, there's also yeah. going to be tamper-resistant labeling on those things, and there's going to be a responsibility on the distributor's part to make sure that they're not using scans of cases that have been tampered with. So if a case has been opened, for example, by your own staff even, yeah. you really can no longer use the serial number that's on that case anymore to reliably assume that all of the serial numbers inside the box are actually what they were originally. Uh, imagine your staff opening a case, taking a product out, and then they have them out on the on the shelf and then they decide to put it back into the case. Well, they might put the wrong inner pack into that case. So you yeah. can no longer trust that the serial number accurately represents what was in that case. So you could find yourself as a distributor, if your staff are doing that, having to not be able to scan that outer case anymore. Now you have to actually scan the individual inner packs. So it's just an interesting challenge in the pharmacy space, but it relates directly to this responsibility that you have to transmit to the next player in the list, uh, an accurate list of serial numbers that you're sending them. So that's a very, very, very interesting, uh, you know, example and the challenge. So I'm actually going to dig a little more deeper into that. So let's say if you talk about this specific case, so as you mentioned that, you know, you are going to have the tempered resistant case, and I don't know how that process is going to be enabled. For example, let's say if I actually break the case, I replace some of the items, you know, I have some sort of malicious intent. And that's probably the reason why they want to make sure that, you know, whatever you are receiving during your return, uh, so nobody is going to replace something else. And then, you know, that's going to 
create yeah. a lot of problems that nobody wants right in this world so let's say uh, you know if they repackage and you don't know they may have repackaged right and your serial number is still intact you might be able to scan that so they did not really touch the serial number but they actually change the packaging they replace the product so how are you going to enable that process do you have any insight in that yeah i mean if you can uh, there is a there is something in you know the, the organization that helps manage these data flows is called gs1 and if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with gs1 they're kind of an international standard setting organization yeah uh, part of what they did is is help to develop the standards for for example the data matrix barcode that contains application identifiers that allows you to break up those four data elements that we were talking about earlier the, okay. the g10 which is your global trade identification number yeah. your lot number your lot expiry and the serial number are all data elements that are embedded inside of this barcode that you can scan. Okay. Um, so for anybody who's not familiar with that, uh, in pharma, we have the luxury of because of the law and because everybody's adopted the same standard, you have one uh, single square barcode that you can scan that contains all of this information. So back to our example of we've opened up a case now and that case had one of these square barcodes on it that had a serial number. It also had the lot number and the lot expiry. So th- yeah. there's an assumption as well that everything in that case was homogeneous. It was the same lot number, the same expiry. Um, the serial number represents the pointer to the aggregate information that tells you what those inner packs are and what those individual units are that have those serial numbers. Now, if you've opened up that case yeah. and you've substituted something else, uh, can you still use the serial number on the outer case? The answer is no, because you've now broken the integrity of that case. But could you, is there another mechanism for doing aggregation of, of what's inside the case? And the answer is actually yes. Uh, there is something called an SSCC. So it's uh, I, 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 the, the acronym escapes me right now, but it's basically the ability to assign your own serial number or your own unique identifier for a case and then indicate what's inside that case. So you could imagine somebody, uh, if you were selling to a mom and pop pharmacy where yeah. they they actually want different items and you just want to reuse a, a physical case and you're going to put completely different products inside that case. Yeah, uh, There is a notion of, of creating a case identifier and then indicating what is inside that case. So the, the single scan, if you, you know, think about this in terms of you transmitting data to your customer. Yeah. You could have an SSCC that is a unique identifier where underneath that, you now have completely different products and completely different serial numbers and lot numbers and expiry dates and so yeah. on bundled up together. So the receiving person on the on the, the receiving side of that, if their system supports scanning an SSCC, you scan that, it does a lookup against this file that you've transmitted them electronically. And now with one scan, they suddenly have information about 10 different products that are inside that case. So, so there is a mechanism for for dealing with kind of creating your own aggregates, yeah. Um, at, in the distribution channel level, and um, and and uh, you know the 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 real benefit of taking advantage of that is going to be a productivity one, both in terms of your staff knowing what's inside what box that goes yeah. out the door, but more importantly on the receiving side of things, uh, being able to get that efficiency of one scan equals uh, a whole bunch of information about what's inside the box. So that's very, very, very interesting. So I I need some more information there overall in terms of this interaction that is happening between you know you as the distributor and you have 
a retailer or the mom and pop pharmacy that you just mentioned, right? So number one, in this particular case, you are really changing the serial number, you know, because you are breaking the case, you are probably assigning your own serial number. I mean, it's not a, we have to be careful when we use the term serial number to to not distort its definition, but the, 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 you know, we're not, we're not replacing the manufacturer's serial number, certainly, but we are assigning a unique identifier to that case. So yes, I mean, it's serial in that, in that it's unique to the case, but it, but it's not strictly speaking, it's not, it's not the same serial number that we're talking about when we're talking about the serial numbers that are on the, the products, for example. Interesting. So, okay. So let me make sure I get this. Okay. So manufacturer serial number is going to go across the value chain. Am I understanding this right? Okay. Yes, so yes. you are also going to, and how about lot number? Let's say if you have the manufacturer's lot number, is that also yeah. going to go across the value chain? Yes. Yes, of course. And the manufacturer is supposed to be assigning the lot number and the serial number for all of the products, for all of the cases. But let's say if you are trying to reconfigure the cases, then you can assign your own number. That is not going to be the actual serial number, but you can transfer the whole file where you are going to have, you know, how that is packaged. Right, right. And the rules around that are different if you're considered something called a repackager is an official recognized organization that's authorized by the FDA to repackage products versus just a distributor who doesn't have that authorization. So so a repackage, you can imagine a repackager is maybe somebody who purchases a, a 10,000 pill bottle and then they're going to repackage that into 100 pill bottles. Yeah. So the lot number of the product is still the same. The, the lot expiry date is still the same. Yeah. The serial numbers that you took the product from need to be traced on the way in. But now as a repackager who's authorized to repackage, you're going to be assigning your own serial numbers and effectively turning it into a different product. So so a repackager has special privileges that a regular buy-sell distributor doesn't doesn't have. Okay, so very interesting. So obviously now I understand the 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 role of the repackager a little bit more. So let's talk about yeah. you know your traditional distribution. So typically let's say if I'm the distributor and I am looking at these things from my own efficiency perspective, the way I am going to be putting away these products in my warehouse, the way these products are going to be shipped. So I am looking at how I can repackage this configuration so that the process is going to be easier. So let's say if you are a pure vanilla distribution, the only thing you are doing is this distributing of the goods. You don't really have the authorization of repackaging. In that case, are you allowed to break any of the cases? Are you allowed to break any of the pallets uh, when you are storing this? Or do you you literally get it like this and ship it like this? I mean, a a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of Blue Link's clients are, find themselves in that situation where, you know, they're selling to smaller end consumers who, or or even let's say a hospital wants to order product. They're not going to order an entire case yeah. of 10,000 pills. They're, they're going to order the quantity they need for the next month or two. Yeah. So, so they may go all the way down to ordering individual bottles. Yeah. Um, or they might order an inner pack of six, you know, that type of thing. So a, a distributor who purchases a case because they want to get a case price, yeah. um, might very well find themselves opening that case so that they can sell the inner packs or sell individual bottles. Yeah. Um, so, so that is very much a common practice, certainly in the smaller mid tier distributors, your much larger distributors, your McKesson's of the world, the uh, Marisource Bergen's are going to be selling or wanting to sell the largest units that they can. 
they, they don't want to deal with an order for a single bottle of, of pills from a, from a pharmacy or from a hospital. Uh, those those mid-tier distributors, that's, that's kind of their, their role in life. And the reason that they have a good, uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity for them is that there are a lot of end consumers, the dispensers that actually give the, the pill to the last, you know, the last step in the chain um, that need to sell smaller quantities or they need to purchase uh, smaller quantities. So your, your mid-tier distributors are in fact the ones buying the case, opening the case, selling inner packs or opening those inner packs and selling individual bottles. Um, and what the only limit imposed on them, uh, certainly under the law, is that they can't sell smaller than the lowest saleable unit of measure. Yeah. So um, you imagine uh, if if what you were selling were um, individual sir- you know, syringes might come in a 10 pack. Yeah. The smallest saleable unit might be that 10 pack of syringes, not the individual syringe. Right. Yep. So you yep. can't you can't open your 10 pack of syringes and sell individual syringes. <laughs> you can only sell the 10 pack as the smallest unit. But that 10 pack might have 10 in an in inner pack. And then again. Uh, those might be bundled up into into cases. So so yes, you can you can certainly purchase cases, open them up and sell inners, or open those up and sell the smallest saleable unit measure to your to your end consumer. Now the data that flows through that chain, of course, is is now changing a little bit. But the actual, um, but you you as the distributor are not modifying the information that's on the product. So so I mentioned earlier in in our call that. The manufacturer is actually applying multiple different serial numbers to kind of the same set of items, depending on how they're aggregated. So yeah. there's one unique serial number at the smallest saleable unit measure, and that's going to be different on every single product. Yeah. Those products being packaged into inner packs gets a different serial number assigned, but it's the same lot number, same lot expiry date. But the idea being, because it's unique, and I can do one scan of that serial number, and I can look up in a database of information that's been transmitted to the next you know, person in down the line, yeah. I can look up that serial number and determine what the other serial numbers are. And the same thing's happening at the case level, right? I, I'm assigning a completely different serial number. So you can think of it this way, as the distributor opens any one of those packages, they've now invalidated the chain of aggregation information that's below it. Yeah. So you can, if you open the case, you can't use the case serial number anymore to assume what's inside the case. If you open up an inner pack, you can't scan the inner pack anymore to assume what's inside those inner packs. So that's very interesting. So you seem to be referring a lot about this information being shared, uh, you know, between whoever you are selling to, right? So in the traditional distribution model, what you typically share is you are probably going to send some sort of, you know, vendor voucher based on the PO that you had received that, okay, this is what I am trying to sell to you. So you are, you can expect this content in as part of the the shipment that i am sending to you or you might have multiple shipments right so in this particular case let's say in your case you seem to be saying that you know what you are going to receive some sort of data file and as soon as you are going to scan that uh, you know it's going to tell you everything that is inside the case so is it still similar to what our traditional distributors are going to receive in terms of a vendor voucher or do you have different information that is being exchanged between different parties yeah, I mean, it, depending on some of your some of the listeners to this podcast might might have already heard of things like advanced shipping notices in the EDI world, things like that. And yeah. and really, what's changing is kind of the information that's contained inside of these uh, notices. So so you as a distributor create a purchase order that you issue to your supplier. Your supplier receives that purchase order, issues you an order number. Yeah. They pick pack and prepare your order for shipment. And and typically at the point in time when they've actually shipped the product. They're now electronically transmitting you information about what's what they're shipping. Um, 
in the in the you know in the early world that was just your product code that you ordered and the quantity that we shipped in total. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That evolved into okay, your product code, the quantity we shipped you, and also the lot numbers and lot expiry dates. Yeah. And now yeah. the next step in this chain um, is is the inclusion of both the serial numbers that we shipped you, but also the aggregation information about what that case contains for inners and what the inners contain for for eaches. So so it's just a, an evolution of the data that's been. Um, that's being transmitted. And some of the mechanisms are, are also a little bit different. Uh, you, you may have heard of a file format called the EPCIS file format. It's, yeah. it's a GS1 standard for how to package up the information about um, the data being transmitted from uh, one player to the next. So, so there's a global standard that everybody's trying to adhere to in terms of you know, how do you create a file that contains this information uh, which is also going to make it easier for because it's standards based to to consume that file on the receiving end. So you'll be able to receive this file, pull it apart, and actually find the information that you need. And then, as a distributor, you need to be able to produce an EPCIS file that to sends it down the next step in the line. Okay, so okay. it's a little bit more technical stuff there, but uh, <laughs> for the people who have to deal with with some of this, uh, those are some terms that they can they can look up and and learn a bit more about. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So we are going to do a little bit of, uh, you know, walkthrough of the, the process so that, you know, listeners are clear in terms of what's going to go on my PO, what's going to go on my sales order. So number one thing, since you are mentioning that, you know what, these things need to be linked together. So, so when you are going to have this inside your inventory, so my assumption is going to be your cases and pallets and your, uh, your the individual sellable item that you have, they all are going to be represented as the inventory, because they all are going to require some sort of lot number, serial number, that's how they are going to be represented in the inventory. Now, when you are actually going to go to your, let's say, the sales order or, or the purchase order, so on that, you are going to specify whether you are buying a case, whether you are buying a pallet, whether you are buying, so you are simply going to key in the inventory number for that specific item, and it's going to bring everything else. Now, do you have any sort of compliance requirement in terms of how your POs are going to be? Because in some ERP systems, what I have seen is, let's say if you are going to input only, let's say the kit or the pallet or the case, the only thing you see there is going to be the case. You don't really see the items underneath that, right? So sometimes, yeah. you know, some companies prefer that because they want to actually simplify the presentation, but some companies require that, you know what, give me everything that you have underneath the kit so that they at least know what is there. Uh, inside that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a very interesting point. I mean, in terms of the ERP system that you use to manage your distribution company, what you're going to be storing items at is going to be that smallest saleable unit of measure. So it's going to be important to have an ERP that allows you to to enable what you just said, for example, putting a creating a purchase order with cases on it or with pallets on it. Yeah. Um, the inventory subsystem needs to know how many individual eaches are in a case are in an inner uh, are in a are, are on a pallet. So, um, so, but ultimately you're still tracking your quantities at the smallest saleable unit measure level. Um, and there might be some math happening to, to say, well, you know, a hundred serial numbers or a hundred eaches that are the smallest saleable unit of measure actually represents one case of a hundred. So, so I can certainly create a purchase order for a case of a hundred yeah. and issue that to my supplier. My supplier is going to tell me that they've shipped me one case of 100, but then they'll potentially include in that data that they send to me the aggregation information that gets me all the way down to those 100 individual serial numbers. 
Now, what's interesting, though, is that there's nothing under the law that says you have to store the information about those 100 individual serial numbers. So it's still okay for you as a distributor to track that you have 100 pieces. What's important, though, is that when you go to transmit that the shipment to your customer now, who's now placed an order from you for yeah. a smaller quantity, you still do have a requirement to send them information about what's been what's been shipped. But what's interesting is that you can do that via a lookup. So you can imagine storing the information about what was shipped to you in a separate database that is a lookup database. Yeah. While it's sitting in your warehouse, you don't necessarily need to know what individual serial numbers are sitting on what shelf in what location. Yeah. You could... Uh, simply know in aggregate, okay, well, this is the the quantity I have of this lot number in this location. And when you go to pick a lot, you 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 still just scan the actual serial numbers on the 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 non-tampered with case or the non-tampered with inner pack. And then what the systems can do is do a lookup against that table of information you've received previously to retrieve the extra information that uh, you're otherwise not storing. So so you can then bundle that up and pack and send it downstream to your uh, to your customer. Okay, amazing. So let's talk about you know some of the the former distributors that you have uh, you know worked with. So when you are working with them, do you see any sort of differentiation in terms of the processes that they have, or do they are they going to be fairly similar? So let's say if you walk from former distributor one to former distributor two, <laughs> so what are going to be the differences? Uh, you know, when when you work with them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like it's it, it's probably easier to talk about the differences by talking about the similarities first. So first of all, I mean, they all need to be compliant with the the law in terms of tracking things like at least lot numbers and lot expiry dates and and that type of thing, and being able to uh, certainly in the current world they have to deal with the traceability information. So they do have to be able to uh, produce an electronic document for their customer that says what that chain was of manufacturer, distributor one, distributor two, and then you know them. But in terms of differences, a lot of the differences really have to do with how those distributors sell the different channels that they use. Is it yeah. direct sales reps calling people up on the phone? Are they do they have a website that's allowing electric orders to be placed electronically, or are they using purchasing services or um, you know sites like Surecost or that type of thing where the pharmacies sign up for a service and they just look for the product that they want. And then they are listed as one of the, the places that can supply that product at a specific price. So when they start uh, you know, to speak back to the idea of opportunities for growth, a lot of these distributors, uh, their, their easiest way to grow their businesses is actually to get listed on these directories of you know selling sites effectively the Amazons yeah. of the pharma world yeah, yeah. and uh, be able to be the, 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 the supplier that fulfills those products uh, for that to work you know they have to have electronic integration to be able to accept those orders or they could find themselves bottlenecked by human processes if you all you got was an email saying there's an order and you get a hundred emails or you get a thousand emails there's not enough people to key those orders in yep. and there's a chance for for errors to to creep in so it becomes important to to deal with those orders electronically and be able to have a system that can accept them and and accurately reflect those orders in the system. So where what kind of variation are you going to see are in the distribution space a lot of times has to deal with the different sales channels that they're able to support and also internal processes within their own warehouse. Like how do they how do they organize their warehouse? How do they keep information um, about the products that are there? Uh, what processes do they use to actually pick back and ship those orders? Uh, 
you know, there's, there's variation, of course, between small distributors and much larger distributors in terms of physical layout and how many employees need to be involved in picking and packing orders, uh, that type of thing. And uh, there could be some different challenges in terms of, you know, the actual scanning of the product during that process. So some distributors, for example, might choose to scan everything at the very end. They're going to pick off a piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, others might prefer an electronic uh, method, especially as they, they grow. Uh, they want to eliminate the paper out of their warehouse. So they might implement a mobile picking solution that allows the order to come up on a, on a device and the device is telling them what aisle to go to. And they're scanning right at the shelf so that, you know, the scan at the shelf allows you to avoid the the sneaker net <laughs> approach of if you scan only at, as you're packaging uh, boxes and you at that point in time when you scan it's validating against the order yeah if, if they turns out they pick the wrong box off the shelf or the wrong yeah. lot number uh, then you know you have a runner who has to actually go put that product back find the correct product and then and then come back um, the biggest reason for implementing a mobile picking solution is going to be you know to to be able to avoid that runner uh, having to do that that running around your warehouse because they as they pick the product right at the shelf if they've picked the wrong thing it's going to tell them immediately on the device that nope this isn't the right product you know they put that back they scan the correct product and then they can move on so so you're going to see some variation in how these uh, distributors organize their warehouse what technology stack they're using while they're picking and um, and and so on. Okay, very interesting. So when you work with these customers, let's say if they might be using a different ERP, and I don't know if you guys have your own WMS solution, and are you going to find, let's say, the pharma compliance requirement at the WMS level as well? Or can company use some of the standard WMSS while utilizing the pharma compliant ERP? Yeah, I think ultimately you have to make sure that you're transmitting the right information to your customer at the end yeah. of the process. So how you manage the internals inside your company uh, you know, there is some some variation there. So you could potentially get away with an off-the-shelf um, WMS system that's only keeping track of uh, of quantities of products and where they're located, as long as you don't have a business requirement to ship specific lots. If you have a business requirement to ship specific lots, then your WMS system is going to have to at least be aware of what lots are in what location. Yeah, we're not really expecting the WMS systems to be aware of which serial numbers are in which locations, however. So you're not going to have a, 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 a hospital, for example, say, I need this specific serial number. That's never going to happen because, first of all, they don't know what the serial numbers are. Yeah. Uh, but second, it also doesn't really help. Um, knowing a particular lot number or more importantly, a lot expiry date is more likely to come through as a requirement. So, for example, you may have some uh, distributors where their competitive advantage is actually selling products that are near expiry at a discount. Okay. So if you know as a, uh, as a pharmacy that the product that you're going to purchase is going to be consumed within the next three weeks, it, it's, it's going to be prescribed, it's going to be used by the end customer within three weeks, it might be okay for you to buy uh, a lot number that's going to expire in three months from now. Now, but a larger pharmacy who's purchasing a larger quantity, that's yeah. completely unacceptable. They might need to have six months out or a year out for expiries to deal with the fact that it's going to sit in their own warehouse before it hits the shelves. So there's an opportunity there for, for the customers who sell short dated lots to be able to sell them at a, at a discount. But in terms of their warehouse operations, when they go to pick the order, if the, the customers ordered a specific lot, that has an expiry six months out from now, you can't have a picker pick the one that expires next week or three yep. weeks from now. 
Yeah. Right. But the the customer who did order the one that's going to expire soon, uh, you want to make sure that you're shipping them that correct product. So yeah. So so yeah, your information systems have to support that. So does it have to be a full WMS? No, not necessarily. But it, the the if you're using an ERP system to do your picking of your order instead of a WMS, the ERP system at least needs to know what quantity of what lot with what lot expiries in what location. So they're being directed to the right place. Um, WMS systems, like like we mentioned earlier, can range from not knowing that lot information to knowing the lot information. Yeah. And some of the newer WMS systems that are being designed specifically for the SESA might be aware of the serial slash aggregation information, um, but that's going to be more important on the way out uh, as opposed to knowing where an individual serial number is uh, in the shelf on the way in. Um, that said, if, if the system supports it, it's certainly not a harm. It's not going to be harmful to, to have that information, but there may be additional work for your staff in the warehouse um, in terms of actually moving product from location to location if the if the WMS is tracking things at that level of detail. Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Well, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in this space. So, I mean, if you're trying to grow your business working uh, with a company that has an ERP system that's going to enable you to improve your improve your business um, by dealing with things electronically is going to be very important. You want to be able to sell in multiple sales channels. You want to be able to have that information flow into your ERP. You want to be able to pick, pack, and ship efficiently and have the information go out uh, accurately. And and certainly in the pharma space, be compliant with the law. You need to you need to comply with the rules and regulations. So yep. you you can't use a lot of just simple off the shelf uh, distribution software. You you need a you know a company that has some experience in this space and and knows what to do to be compliant with the law, so that uh, you're not finding yourself uh, on the hot seat. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from the conversation is going to be the, even though you might think that the distribution is just a simple business, but every distribution business is also going to have its nuances and pharma being one of the most complex distribution business. So make sure you are going to be complying with the law and make sure you are going to be buying and implementing a system that is really going to work for your business processes. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode, Darren. All right. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Darren, head over to bluelinkerp.com. It's B-L-U-E-L-I-N-K-E-R-P.com or darrenmeyer.com. It's D-A-R-R-E-N. M-Y-H-E-R dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tom Rodden, who discusses the nuances of medical device manufacturing and how it differs from generalized manufacturing. Also, the interview with Nelson Abreu from 3050 Imports, who discusses the wine distribution businesses nuances and supply chain challenges. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best 
to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.